Losing your electricity for a few hours can be an inconvenience, but prolonged outages like we saw in Texas last month can be fatal. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we examine important issues impacting our environment. While renewable energy was blamed for the power failure by some politicians and media outlets, that narrative has been widely debunked. To help us better understand the facts so that you can make informed decisions, we have Julie McNamara, who covers grid resilience issues for the Union of Concerned Scientists. Julie, welcome to GreenSense. Thank you for having me. Julie, for those that may not know your organization, uh, tell us how the Union of Concerned Scientists is funded and if you're aligned with any political parties. Sure, the Union of Concerned Scientists is a nonpartisan organization. We get our funding from individuals and foundations. We don't accept corporate or government grants. Um, all in an effort to keep our work objective. So going back a few years, uh, Texas intentionally isolated its power grid from two major national grids, and this was done to avoid federal oversight and deregulate their energy sector on behalf of private business. So let's start out simple. Give us a brief overview of the state of the Texas electric grid and how it connects to the national grid or how it connected and how it's now isolated. Sure. So as you said, Texas is unique. We have across our country these two main eastern and western interconnects. And then you have Texas. And it's always been in energy circles something of a, um, a, a factoid. But you can see the real consequences of that difference when you see what it means to be isolated in these trying events. Um, so Texas indeed did did keep its um, system separated from these other interconnects because it did not want to bring in federal regulation if its electricity were to cross state lines. Oh, very interesting. And how much of that grid is uh, powered by renewable energy? Texas has in many ways been out front on developing wind energy in particular. However, it still has an enormous amount of coal on the system, as well as natural gas. So while wind development has been, um, you know, a, a point of pride, in fact, for this state, it's still a small portion compared to fossil fuels. Which is a bit of a paradox from a, a big oil producing uh, state like Texas, right? Uh, so uh, it's quite interesting. Um, the modifications to the Texas grid made it very difficult for them to import power from other states during those winter storms. Is that a pretty accurate description of why millions lost power in Texas? What happened in Texas, those long lasting outages for just enormous numbers of customers uh, was the result of a series of failures. So it was in part its isolation, which meant that it had to largely manage a trying grid event all its own, right? It, it could really only rely on what it had in state. Unlike other parts of the country which were suffering similar cold temperatures, um, unseasonably cold temperatures, but were able to largely get through with only minimal outage events because they could rely on each other. Now in Texas, again, so it was based on its own system. However, it wasn't just, um, it, that isolation became a problem because there was this um, escalating significant mismatch in electricity supply and electricity demand, right? As the cold temperatures 
got colder and colder. Electricity demand surged as Texans were working to keep their homes warm. Um, at that very same time, electricity power plants were tripping offline. They were not prepared for those cold temperatures. And that meant that as demand surged, supply collapsed, and then the grid operator stepped in to shed all of this load. And that's what brought these power outages to bear. You're out in the Northeast. We're here in the Midwest. Our standards, uh, that storm was not that bad, was it? <laughs> that's right. You know, of course, we know that power plants can operate in cold temperatures. We're living in areas that are regularly colder than that. But it's not just that power plants and gas systems can operate in cold weather. Texas itself has experienced cold weather on the order of what it experienced uh, last month. And I think one of the things that's been uh, frustrating for so many people is the suggestion that this is a wake-up call. In fact, Texas has lived through this before and suffered significant outages. So it is far more in abdication of responsibility to act to address these consequences of, of weather that we know can come as opposed to a surprise event that could not have been anticipated. Well, Greg Abbott, the governor, uh, really, I think, sensationalized this issue. Uh, he blamed renewables, saying wind turbines failed because of the cold and snow. Now, it's true that it takes preparation to be able to function in temperatures like this, um, but that can be done. And what that means is it requires preparing for conditions that should be expected. Um, and this is also the case for natural gas plants, um, which had an array of system failures, both at the power plant level, as well in the gas supply network. Uh, coal plants had to stop operating because their coal piles froze. A nuclear power plant had to trip offline because of um, a, a misreading in its system due to cold weather. So we saw these challenges across the supply system. But I think it's also really important to note that demand surged because we also have to consider the impacts of cold weather on people's homes, where Texas has long shunned electric, uh, energy efficiency and weatherization on the home front too. So if you lose power, you're gonna drop in temperature all the faster inside, which just exacerbated the extremes of the, of the situation. So help us understand uh, what kind of maintenance needed to be done to the natural gas plants and to the wind turbines so that they can operate. And, and could that have been on a plan scheduled or did, did that have to be episodic uh, and forecast that before a weather event? Yeah, so it's a range of things. Some are, are very simple. Um, some are far more complicated and require this, um, you know, a long, a long-term consideration and, and setup of operations. Um, it's from the fluids used in systems that are that are better equipped for colder temperatures as opposed to to warmer temperatures. It's things like insulating pipes or where water flows in in thin lines, um, making sure that those are equipped. But then there are things you have to consider, like the at this point, the gas system is unlikely to be dug up in Texas and buried all the deeper to, to keep, or, the, or the, the water system to keep the pipes from freezing. 
So part of that is thinking about how do we operate this differently to be prepared. So not just physical infrastructure changes, but also operational changes. Who is responsible for maintaining um, the system in Texas? Is it the government or is it the private sector? Well, this is the big problem and this is the big catch because I think some of the responses that we saw right after the event where there is finger pointing in every direction was just a desperate attempt to keep the finger being pointed at, at themselves. And there are a series of places where you can have interventions on the grid. But there are also in a in a state that is heavily deregulated in um, in uh, attention is paid to uh, profit and markets as opposed to the resource that's supposed to be delivered to people. So as opposed to ensuring grid reliability, there is a greater focus on ensuring that the generators that were in the system were getting the money that would keep them online. Was it uh, government or business that was responsible for maintaining uh, the grid and who didn't do it? It was both. Um, both. Business should should be prepared um, for the situ these, these um, situations and they should know. But the bigger problem is that the regulators in Texas and the policymakers left it up to business, which in fact um, was fine, right? The, the power plant uh, is it's only a matter of economics for people. It was a matter of life and death. We're also finding out how ERCOT, the energy provider which operates the grid in Texas, charged power companies and homeowners exorbitant fees during the outage to the tune of $16 billion. So they actually profited off this calamity. Uh, some of the people that were charged had declared bankruptcy. And the government in Texas is working to reverse this but how was that allowed to happen in the first place and how can that be prevented? Uh, so Texas is set up as an energy only market, which means the way that it brings new power plants online to make sure that there's enough electricity generation available to meet demand, um, electricity use, is by allowing prices in the energy market to go very, very high at times of scarcity. And the idea is that if those prices are high enough, then it will bring new power plants online to be able to capture those moments of scarcity. So this was an unintended consequence of a variable rate uh, charging system. That's right. And so what we ended up seeing, though, was a market that had completely gotten uh, out of its depth because when all these generators went offline, the the regulators stepped in and pegged the prices at this high cap level, um, orders of magnitude higher than the usual prices. And they held it there because they had forced customers offline. Um, they thought that was, uh, it, right, this intervention in the market sent a signal that, oh, suddenly there isn't actually a scarcity of demand. But what ended up happening was an enormous wealth transfer from people to a very select number of especially gas um, interests. And that's not what the electricity grid is meant to do. It's meant to provide electricity to people that's reliable and affordable. So clearly this market didn't work. But I do think it's really important to say the market 
was in place on those days, right? It's choices and decisions that were made well in advance of this event that caused all of these things to go wrong. So it's important to not just focus on the market, but also all the lack of preparation and the um, failure to, to act on what should have been the responsibility of regulators and policymakers to prepare the system for what should have been known. What were the lessons learned from this as far as pricing goes? Yes, yeah, so this will take some time to unwind. And as we speak, it's being uh, heavily debated. Um, I think everybody agrees that what happened was a failure, but how to unwind it is a challenge. Um, and I think there's also a difference in opinion between who should be most protected in a system like this. I think there are a lot who look out for people and a lot who look out for a market. That's interesting in this day and age, uh, a difference of opinion. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so even though Governor Abbott's statements were completely false, uh, and it was a uh, three-card Monty to get you to look in one direction when something was happening elsewhere, how has his statements impacted the public's perception of renewal power production? I think this is what's really dangerous about that rhetoric, is because it takes attention away from where we need to focus. We know that extreme weather events are happening uh, all across this country. And when they come, they have enormous and rippling consequences. And those costs are borne by people. What we need is a system that's investing in infrastructure that's been chronically underinvested. We need a power grid that's simultaneously transitioning to clean energy to limit the the climate impacts that we're wrestling with today. And we need to do it in a way that puts people first because it keeps coming back to this fact that we can't afford to keep paying for these disasters after the fact. We need to invest ahead of time. You know, they're, they're supposed to be there to serve the public. Their charge is, is to provide uh, reliable and affordable electricity. And we don't have much control as consumers for what comes down the wire, but of course we're affected by what those are, both for pollution, as well as for cost, as well as for how it will impact us for decades into the future. Do you think it's time to change the way the utility companies are, are set up as public utilities? Is, is it better to privatize them? Is, is there some new model that needs to be employed? Or is there many different things that need to be fixed in this broken grid? You know, it's, I don't think it is one clear fix. What's most important is that we get people able to have a voice, able to have access, and able for self-governance if they so choose. Because the, the truth is, there are many types of utility models across this country. We have investor-owned utilities, we have municipal co-ops, we have um, public power, and they've all shown their weaknesses. Um, what's most important and what most guarantees success is strong oversight and leadership and access for people to have a voice in proceedings. Are there other states that are set up like Texas where the grid is isolated and they may be underprepared? I think this is an incredibly important point. 
yes, this can happen elsewhere. No, this was not unique to Texas. More, more even, it's not unique to cold, right? Texas has, in recent years, danced on the edge of grid outages with hot weather too. It is um, a challenge to face many types of extreme weather events. We've seen it in California with wildfires. We've seen it across the Midwest with drought and cold. We see it in the Northeast. Um, we see it all over the country with hurricanes. The grid faces an array of challenges and it's not an easy task to keep it, to keep the power on. But one way it makes it a lot harder is if we're not preparing for these evolving impacts and evolving conditions in which the grid operates. Well, one thing that's happened, and I'm not sure if it's a cause of the outage or if this was planned well before, but there's a 100 megawatt battery backup system that's being installed outside of Arlington, Texas, and it's using Tesla batteries. In your opinion, is this a Band-Aid or is this uh, maybe one of the cures for the Texas electric grid? Well, this is a step to the future because we see the grid of the future is one that's flexible in its resilience, right? It, it derives resilience through flexibility. Um, because as we shift to more and more renewable power, we need a grid that's able to take advantage of those clean electricity resources whenever they're generating. So we want something that's flexible. But at the same time that that flexibility improves the, the um, integration of renewables on the system, it also boosts grid resilience because it means that if an outage does occur on one part of the system, we can make it much smaller in scope and, and a much um, shorter in duration. It's that duration that can cause such consequences. So something like a battery is a great intervention that helps to boost local resilience um, so that what's most when we think about grid resilience we think about both top down how do you keep the the big power grid online but also community resilience so that if the power grid does go down you still have these islands of power such that communities have resources available in these in these challenging situations well, the public just flicks a switch and they get electricity. A lot of them just have no idea how complex and intriguing the grid is. Uh, so we appreciate your straight talk on this. Since we brought up Tesla and the electric cars really seem to be taking off, this is gonna put a lot more stress on the grid. Uh, as a resiliency expert, what's your thoughts on EVs and how are those going to uh, coordinate with the grid? Will it be more taxing or or will there be some new innovation that allows us to uh, access power without having uh, increased demand? This is an, an important question. You know, it's already the case that we can't weather a power outage because our critical services rely on electricity. So we shouldn't be at a place where we accept long lasting outages. It's critical that we design the grid to stay up um, even in the face of impacts. But we also know that no matter what we do, there are times when the power grid will go out. So when we think about this, it's important to consider what changes when we do have um, more of our um, infrastructure based on electricity, including in our homes and our vehicles. Um, but, but something that's actually really exciting is that 
electric vehicles can themselves serve as a resource during outages, right? There are stories of people who are going to their electric vehicles and charging up. Um, and longer term, we know that you can use your vehicle to power critical loads within your home. So keeping your refrigerator plugged in or your, um, your heat pump, right? You can use your vehicle to provide a backup service. So we do see this uh, benefit, in fact, from, from such an integrated system. It's a brave new world and the electric grid's gonna change uh, rapidly out there. So the uh, bottom line question here is, does Texas know what to do to improve its grid? And will it be uh, fixed in time for next winter so that if another uh, major storm hits, that they'll be resilient? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking to the summer before I'm thinking about the winter because most of what has to change isn't specific to cold weather fixes, but to operations such that anytime a grid strain comes in, the grid is better able to operate and people are, are left with the lights still on. I think I'm heartened to see policymakers continuing to engage, but I do worry because we've been here so many times before that pressure may be eased down the line as this recedes in memory and we'll be here again once more. But we can't, we can't afford, and I think the costs and consequences borne by people were so great that there will be continued holding of feet to fire to affect real change. Julie, it's been a real delight to talk to you and uh, get really straight answers on a complex issue. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us on GreenSense. Thank you for taking the time to talk about this. That's Julie McNamara, who covers grid resilience issues for the Union of Concerned Scientists. I'm Robert Colangelo. This is GreenSense. Subscribe to our podcast at greensensefarms.com. Listen to the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago. Mm -hmm.